or Jesus Christ, according to Mark. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? No one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of the birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for reading, Eric. My name is Steve. I'll add my welcome to what Charles said. I think all is right in the universe now that he's back behind the, the boards. And um, uh, it's very good to be with you. I'm just back from, from Florida where we are visiting family. And uh, I was working on this sermon. Uh, I mean, I've been reading our text many times, and there's actually quite a lot to it. Um, but I was, I was working on it Friday night when I hear the sound, which... As any parent knows, it immediately grabs your attention. The sound of my daughter, she, she'll be two next month, she was throwing up. So uh, uh, immediately, all my attention uh, was, was, uh, was taken up by her. And it turned out she was sick. Um, she had uh, uh, just a, um, a stomach bug, so she was up all night. And uh, we're taking care of her. But when we took her to the hospital, uh, the, we, we were seen by the doctor... And, I mean, she's fine now, so it's, it's not a story of an ongoing saga. But what's interesting is, we took her to the hospital, we see the doctor, and the doctor gives her prescription, or her prediction. She says, oh, she has a stomach bug. And at that point, I have to respond, right? So my wife and I have to respond. We have the, predict- we have the, the uh, prescription, the prediction about what's wrong with her, and then we have our response, and so this, the reason I tell this story is because I think this is helpful, this kind of attitude is helpful when we look at our reading in Mark. So the disciples hear Christ make a prediction about the future. The doctor told me that my daughter would be fine in 12 to 24 hours, she'd be fine. And I had to decide if I'm going to take her at her word, if this is going to be the case. And Christ makes a prediction about the future. Several, actually quite a few predictions about the future here in our text. And the disciples have to decide, will they believe him? Will they trust him? How will they respond? And we have to make 
uh, the same decision decision ourselves. So let's look down here at how the disciples react. If we start in verse 1, Jesus was leaving the temple, and one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And according to Josephus, who's a historian of the period, some of the stones of the temple were nearly 70 feet long, 12 feet high, 18 feet wide. It was adorned with crowns, shields, goblets, a chain of gold presented by Agrippa, who was a local leader, a a golden vine with vast clusters that had been given to the temple by Herod. It was made of white limestone, and and all this gold and white stone, it it was so reflective in the sun, it shined brilliantly. So it was a great, magnificent, truly was a great, magnificent building. It took 46 years to finish, and 10,000 skilled workmen are said to have been employed in its construction. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. You, you can almost see the disciples turn in shock. What? How can this be? How can this great building be thrown down? These massive stones. They're also thinking about their own careers. They believe Jesus is the Son of God, and, and so they think... We're following him. We're following the Son of God. One day, we'll be ruling in God's temple. We'll be ruling out of this great building. But Christ says that every stone will be thrown down. So we have Christ's prediction about the future, and we have the disciples' response. Now, can I, can I just say this is not, this is not triumphalistic. Something that's come up, uh, that I, that's occurred to me several times as I've been working on the sermon, it's not triumphalistic. Because, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe when you're reading this text, you, you think that Christ is uh, saying something like what a boxer says before a fight. Right? So, a, a favorite one um, uh, that, that comes to mind is, I'll beat him so bad, he'll need a shoehorn to put his hat on. That was Muhammad Ali. That was Muhammad Ali before he fought George Patterson in 1965. I'll beat him so bad he'll need a shoehorn to put his hat on. That, that's, not, that's not what Christ, that's not the tone uh, that we should be reading this passage in. All these great buildings, not one stone will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. So Christ isn't, he's not bragging. I mean, first of all, he's speaking privately to his disciples. And secondly, just think for a moment what's required for this prediction to come true. The temple is where sacrifices are made to God. In order for it to be destroyed, the ultimate sacrifice must be made. So Christ is speaking about himself here. He must be obedient unto death. So when he says, every stone will be thrown down, he's saying, I will obey God unto death. He's making a very bold prediction about his attitude and his commitment to God. And what kind of man makes this prediction? 
And how should we respond to him? Well, let's see. The first way the disciples respond is if we look down in verse 3. They follow after him and ask what he means. So as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? So I'd say the application for us is to keep asking questions of Christ, to investigate his claims, to wonder what they mean, to argue with each other about what we find here, to pray. And if you'd like to do more of this, why not, why not come along for dinner here at Christ Church on Tuesday nights, uh, starting next month at 7.15. Uh, we'll be discussing John's Gospel. It's a great opportunity to, to discuss the claims that Christ makes and how we should respond. So Christ makes a prediction, a claim about the future, and the disciples respond by thinking about it, by asking questions, by chasing after him. What did you mean by that? Let's read on. Let's look down, looking down at verse 5. Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. So here we have Christ making another prediction, or a more clear prediction about the end of history. And I, I wonder I wonder what you make of this. One view is that history is just chaos. It doesn't lead anywhere. It's, it's just war. It's just violence. Or another another view is that might makes right. So the strong are the ones who determine who lives and who dies, who has freedom and who does not, who is wealthy and who is not. The physical strength, armies, determine history. But that's not what Christ is saying here, is it? When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. The word here means do not be disturbed, do not be stirred, do not be moved, do not be moved from the belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he has authority in heaven and earth. That's what war does, doesn't it? It makes us think God's not in control, that anything might happen, that earth, that here on earth is chaos, or, or it makes us think that might makes right. So I think the, the, the application here for us is that we should not let war or natural disaster move our belief that God is in control. Now Christ, he's not dismissing these things. He's not saying war doesn't matter, famine doesn't matter, storms, droughts don't matter. He says they're birth pains. And nearly two years ago now, my, my daughter was born. It's actually one of these events I remember very clearly. Uh, there, was, there was nothing triumphalistic about that, uh, nothing certain. 
and there were many cries of pain, of fear, and sometimes, sometimes I, th- I think the cries didn't actually mean anything. They were just cries, you know, please, let's get this over with. Um, they, they, were, they were birth pains. And we tried everything to get my wife's mind off these birth pains. This is true. She, she started off watching Sense and Sensibility. Okay, that was her, that was what she wanted to do. So we, we, we tried the film for a little while. Uh, I used this machine to electrocute her. Okay, this is uh, actually how it's meant to work. Okay, the TENS machine. Uh, this is not something I came up with. Um, in fact, I was skeptical the TENS machine would work, but she, but it did, it did actually. Uh, at the hospital, there's a bath, there's oxygen, there's all these ways, all these things to get her mind off the pain, to get her thinking of something else. Birth pains hurt, and Jesus, he's acknowledging the pain and suffering of this life. He's saying that war, disasters, they hurt, but don't be moved. Don't be moved from the belief that at the end, he gives life. That's what gets you through the pain. You, you think about what comes at the end. If, if all you see is the pain, then you're overwhelmed. But Jesus says to recognize that, that war and earthquakes and famine, they're just birth pains for the kingdom of God. All that violence and tragedy, it's not, it's not done away with or ignored. I'm not speaking lightly here. But it's changed. Our perspective of these, on these things changes if we recognize what comes next. The end is still to come. So the prediction here is that our tragedies, they're no less painful, but they're birthing pains. And our response is to hope for the life to come. Our final, our final prediction and response, look, with me, look down with me at verse 9. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. So the prediction here is it's actually quite grim. I think, again, uh, the disciples would have been surprised, or at least thinking very sober thoughts about the future. You will be arrested and tortured. You will be questioned by governors and kings. But the response is surprising too, isn't it? Christ says that we should be on our guard, not to resist what will take place, but so that we can understand what is going on. The word here means watch out, beware, pay attention. It also means to perceive the situation. We need to understand who is against us and who is for us. If the disciples only see one half of the situation, then it's not good at all. They see governors and kings interrogating them. They see themselves arrested and put on trial. I think in some ways that's what Peter saw 
when he was first challenged about his relationship with Christ after Christ's arrest. He only sees those who are interrogating him. He doesn't doesn't remember who is for him. And that's what we have to, to keep in mind. Because if we see the other half of the situation, our perspective changes. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings, Christ says. Governors and kings are against them, but Christ is for them. As, as Rico Tice likes to say, God plus one equals a majority. God plus one equals a majority. And again, this, this is not triumphalistic. Christ set the example for us. His arrest, his torture, his interrogation, his crucifixion. And it's on his account that we're judged. So we can diagnose our situation here, can't we? When your friends look at you and consider your faith, are they judging you? Or how about yourself? When, when you evaluate your faith, do you, do you judge your performance on your account? Because see, Christ is saying here that it's on his account that we will be arrested and judged. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very encouraged to hear that. It's a good reminder that I should think of how God responds to me in the way he responds to Christ. Not by my own performance, but how Christ has performed. So why don't I close this in prayer and we will sing our next hymn. Please bow your heads. Father God, the future often seems so uncertain, so dangerous and unsure. Thank you that through the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, that you demonstrate that you are in control. Help us to ask questions of you, to learn more about you, to see our present suffering in view of the life to come and to recognize that you are with us. Amen.